Welcome to the Neuropedic Sports Rehab Podcast. I'm your host, Ramez Antoon, but please call me Mez. I'm a physical therapist and a strength coach. And in this show, we talk about the continuum of clinical practice to getting back to training in the gym. We focus on sustainable performance and longevity. I'd like to thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy our show. Before we start, if you're a sports PT interested in a virtual mentorship, make sure you stick around for after the episode. We have more details about our 12-week mentorship program that we've been getting awesome feedback from our students. Also, if you like to consume content by reading, we drop a weekly newsletter every Friday morning with free sports rehab and fitness content. So if you're interested, make sure you check out the episode description where we have a link to sign up for our weekly newsletter. All right, without further delay, let's get into today's episode. All right, everyone, I'm super excited about today's episode. We're going to dive into the science behind how breath work affects the autonomic nervous system. We'll dive into the neuroscience behind using cognitive anchors like the breath to stimulate a parasympathetic response, how breathing can stimulate baroreceptors and chemoreceptor reflexes to stimulate a vagal response. All of this has been shown to help reduce overall tension in the musculoskeletal system, otherwise known as reducing neurological tone. It can improve sleep, recovery, and so much more. I will leave you with some actionable advice at the end of this episode so you can apply this nerdy information to both yourself and your clients in a very simple yet actionable way. I hope you enjoy the episode and I hope you find the information useful. All right, let's dive in. One of my first Tai Chi teachers in California once said, martial arts is not just about fighting. It starts with learning how to control yourself by focusing your mind on movement and breath work. And then a few years later, another teacher said something very similar with respect to Tai Chi. He said, Tai Chi can be boiled down to three core pillars, movement, breath work, and mindfulness meditation. And then what I really realized after several years of practice is that through this practice, we were cultivating the skill of focus by always using what they call the cognitive anchors of breathwork and movement. But my question was, why was this practice of linking everything back to the breath, literally everything back to the breath, proving to be so helpful to calm me and so many others down? Why was this work proving to help various different health problems from anxiety, depression, breathing disorders, ADD, sleep issues, what exactly was going on here? So this made me nerd out in uh, diving into neurophysiology and diving into neurocardiopulmonology. But let's start with some of the research that a cognitive neuroscientist of the name David Vago has done at Vanderbilt University. So Dr. Vago was studying the brains of very experienced meditators. And what he found was when these individuals were put in the functional MRI machines and were given the instruction to use the cognitive anchor of the breath, what they found was a immediately an increase in the activity of the prefrontal cortex, so the area of the brain that helps us focus and concentrate. Interestingly enough, the prefrontal cortex neuro from a neuroanatomical standpoint, has 
direct projections to the amygdala. And the prefrontal cortex has the power to inhibit or downregulate the amygdala's hyperactivity. Now, why is that so important? Well, the amygdala is where we have fear conditioning. So when the amygdala is very active, we tend to be in a stress response or a sympathetic state, what the Chinese call the monkey mind. So by flexing our concentration muscle, aka the prefrontal cortex, by using a cognitive anchor of the breath, we seem to be able to downregulate the hippocampus and the amygdala, which allows us to be a little bit more centered and poised. So we transition from this sympathetic state to this parasympathetic state. So using cognitive anchors of movement, the breath, or coordinating the two, which is a, a little bit more of an advanced approach for a beginner, helps to cultivate the skill of concentration and focus, which offers us an avenue to switch from this sympathetic to parasympathetic by means of turning the volume down on an overactive amygdala. This is what is referred to in Tai Chi as a calm, centered, rooted state of mind, which is a prerequisite for being physically balanced and strong. And my, one of my teachers once said that from this state of mind, we can choose to create focused tension to produce force. So whether that be lifting weights or striking a dummy, or to relax and let unnecessary tension go. Or in other words, tension that is not serving any purpose at all. In martial arts, that type of tension is called wasted energy or an energy leak. But I, I remember this so vividly. One of my first Tai Chi teachers when I was practicing in the very early years was just telling me, Ramez, you are leaking energy everywhere. If you were a bank account, you'd be in the red. I was just this strength coach that was just all about tension. It was just really interesting to learn how to cultivate the skill of, number one, focused concentration. I remember when I first was practicing, my mind was bouncing everywhere, and I had no clue how to relax unnecessary tension. So from a standpoint of breathing stimulating the autonomic nervous system, it's really tapping into this focused concentration and, and exercising our prefrontal cortex. I mean, if we think of it just like a muscle, the more reps you do, the stronger the muscle gets. So in mindfulness meditation, the more times we lose our focus and bring it back to the cognitive anchor, whether that be movement, the breath, or both, we just did a repetition. We just did a bicep curl, for example. So really flexing that prefrontal cortex can allow us to tap into this parasympathetic state and to what the Chinese call go from this monkey mind to a wisdom mind, going from a scattered state to a centered, poised state. Okay, so let's put that to the side for a second. And now let's dive into how the breath in and of itself stimulates the autonomic nervous system, specifically the parasympathetic state, or in other words, how does the breath calm us down? Basically, the answer can come down to the baroreceptor reflex and the chemoreceptor reflex. Warning, we're about to get really nerdy. 
<laughs> so let's review the the baroreceptor reflex. So baroreceptors, they're responsible for picking up on changes in blood flow. Specifically, baroreceptors are highly concentrated in the carotid and the subclavian arteries. So the baroreceptors really are the police that are aware of how much blood is flowing to the brain. So when we stimulate the baroreceptors, we stimulate an afferent sensory input to the brainstem, to the vagal preganglionic neurons, specifically a nucleus ambiguus. I told you we were going to get really nerdy. And nucleus ambiguus, once it gets this influx of sensory stimulation from the baroreceptor reflex, or the baroreceptors, excuse me, we immediately stimulate efferent output to the vagus nerve, aka a parasympathetic response. Okay, well now the question is, how do we stimulate the baroreceptor reflex? Well, there's two physiological ways that we can trigger the baroreceptor reflex. Number one, well, we're going to increase blood flow through the carotid arteries. And number two is pausing between the inhale and the exhale. So there's something about pausing between breaths that stimulates the baroreceptor reflex as well as the chemoreceptor reflex. Okay, but now let's go back and dive into each one of those in a little bit more detail. So number one, increasing blood flow through the, bar through the carotid arteries to stimulate the baroreceptor reflex. Let's bring it back to the equation of cardiac output equals stroke volume times heart rate. So if we can increase venous return to the heart, thus we increase stroke volume, we're going to stimulate these mechanoreceptors, aka baroreceptors. The best way to stimulate this, or one of the best ways to stimulate this, is creating this pressure differential between the thorax and the abdomen during nasal breathing because this stimulates diaphragmatic breathing and when we inhale the diaphragm contracts and descends which increases the pressure in the abdomen and decreases the pressure in the thoracic cage so when this happens blood funnels from the abdomen up through the vena cava towards the heart into the thoracic cage if we bring this back to very basic physiology, this is called Ohm's Law, which states that the direction of blood flow is determined by the, pre the direction of, excuse me, the pressure gradient, which is always from high to low pressure. So when we're going through a diaphragmatic breath, the diaphragm descends, pressure in the abdomen increases, pressure in the thorax de decreases, so blood funnels up into the heart. This is going to increase stroke volume. If there's more blood getting into the heart, then there's more blood being ejected from the heart per beat, thus stimulating a baroreceptor reflex and getting this parasympathetic response. So by means of diaphragmatically breathing, which is best triggered through nasal breathing, we can stimulate a parasympathetic response. So that's the first way to do it. And we're going to bring it back to, again, we want to improve cardiac output because if there's more blood coming out of the heart, then we're going to stimulate these flow receptors, the baroreceptors. All right, so that's increasing cardiac output by means of stroke volume. 
The other way to do it, the other part of this equation, heart rate. If we increase heart rate, we can also increase cardiac output. Well, what's the easiest way to increase heart rate is simply exercising. This may be the reason why after we exercise or after we do a workout, we have this euphoric state or this sense of calm. But let's talk about the minimum effective dose required to get this response because we don't always have to be killing ourselves with a workout or with exercise to stimulate this parasympathetic activity. If you're familiar with pain neuroscience, we know that the minimum effective dose to stimulate an endorphin and enkephalin release from the central nervous system is increasing our heart rate by just 20 beats above resting heart rate for 20 to for excuse me for 10 to 15 minutes. That in and of itself will release these endorphins from the central nervous system, giving us this sense of calm. So if we can stimulate the baroreceptor by either increasing stroke volume or increasing our heart rate, learning how to diaphragmatically breathe, or learning how to stimulate a minimum effective dose to increase heart rate, we can create this sense of calm by stimulating the autonomic nervous system by means of the baroreceptor reflex. All right, the second way that we can trigger the baroreceptor reflex, like we talked about, is by holding our breath for three to four seconds after an inhale and or a prolonged exhalation, again followed by a pause. So just a warning here, these pauses, if someone's not used to these pauses, it will create a hunger for air or this perception that they are quote unquote suffocating as one of my clients once said. So setting the expectations of this type of training is really important because we don't want to create such a hunger for air that this person feels that they're suffocating. So we may start with a one to two second pause with the intention to build up to a three to four second pause. But this is an important feature of or instruction for the breath to stimulate this parasympathetic response. And let's let's explain why. Let's flip that cue on its head and let's look at what happens when we overbreathe and we when we don't pause at all between inhale and exhale. When we do that, we get rid of too much carbon dioxide, which makes our chemoreceptors extra sensitive to carbon dioxide, which then reflexively increases our respiratory rate and now we're in this reverberating cycle of overbreathing, and we're getting rid of too much CO2, which makes the chemoreceptors even more sensitive to CO2. And again, we get this reverberating cycle of overbreathing and hyperventilation. A lot of us will think, well, oxygen is something we want to bring in and, ox and CO2 is something we want to exhale out. But really CO2 or carbon dioxide is an essential component to balancing our autonomic nervous system and our body in general. CO2 does a couple things for us. Number one, it helps to regulate our blood's pH. If we have too little CO2 in our system, cause when we hyperventilate, 
our blood pH becomes too alkaline, too basic, and that throws the, the um, autonomic nervous system off balance. So making sure that our blood, pH, our blood pH is somewhere in between too acidic and too alkaline is really important. Number two, carbon dioxide, it helps regulate the diameter of our blood vessels. So research has, has shown quite precisely that too little CO2 in our blood can actually constrict our blood vessels up to 50%, which obviously greatly affects circulation. So incorporating pausing between inhalation and exhalation and creating a hypoventilative state can help reaccumulate CO2 in our system, which will help balance our blood pH, will help to dilate our blood vessels, thus increasing blood flow to our exercising muscles and to the central nervous system, specifically the brain. And the other thing that CO2 does for us is, if you remember back again to basic physiology, there's something called the Bohr effect. And CO2 is an essential component to dissociate oxygen from the hemoglobin molecule. It's called the uh, hemoglobin dissociation curve. So when there isn't enough CO2 in our system, hemoglobin attaches to oxygen and it doesn't readily let it go to our tissues. So by creating an instruction of pausing between inspiration and exhalation, and creating this subtle hunger for air, we are rebalancing not just the autonomic nervous system, but we're rebalancing our ability to release oxygen from hemoglobin, dilate our blood vessels, and oh, and by the way, nasal breathing actually increases the release of nitric oxide from the nasal cavity, which also helps to dilate blood vessels. For all you bros out there that used to take thing, the pre-workout solutions like NO Explode, NO Explode is nitric oxide, which helps to dilate blood vessels. So that tingling sensation you felt in your feet and your hands after taking something like NO Explode, that was the dilation of your blood vessels. Well, we actually have an internal NO Explode in our nasal cavity. If we learn how to nasal breathe and learn how to hypoventilate to the point where we restore CO2 balance, desensitizing our chemoreceptors, stimulating a parasympathetic state, and optimizing the balance within our physiology. So to summarize, I know this, this was a lot, but I find this stuff fascinating and I really, really appreciate how the ancient martial arts really tapped into a lot of this very basic physiology by simply focusing on the breath. And one of my mentors, we always used to say, it's simple, but it's not easy. Right. So to summarize, how does breath work stimulate the autonomic nervous system? Well, number one, focusing on the breath or focusing on breathing exercises exercises our concentration muscle, quote unquote, aka the prefrontal cortex, which can inhibit or downregulate the amygdala and the hippocampus, i.e. downregulating down our stress response and our fear response, otherwise known as the monkey mind in Chinese proverbs. 
Nasal breathing helps to stimulate a diaphragmatic breath, which causes increased venous return, which increases cardiac output, thus stimulating a baroreceptor reflex, which causes the vagus nerve to be stimulated. And by the way, the vagus nerve projects to the heart to decrease heart rate and blood pressure, projects to the lungs, to the liver, to the gut. So being able to tap into this parasympathetic state and being able to tap into the vagus nerve has this proliferation effect in multiple areas of the body and really can have various health benefits from gut health to uh, improving our um, metabolic system and metabolic rate. <clears throat> and then finally, pausing a minimum of three to four seconds between the inspiration and the expiration also stimulates the bare receptor reflex and increases our chemoreceptors tolerance to CO2, which is an essential element to also creating balance within not just our autonomic nervous system, but in the circulation that we have within our body. Okay, so now I want to leave you guys with some actionable information. Okay, so we, we have clear, clear scientific evidence that the breath can help us tap into the autonomic nervous system and create a parasympathetic response. And by the way, we didn't get into any of this, but there's also a lot of Chinese martial art techniques to stimulate the breath with respect to increasing sympathetic state, getting ready for a fight or flight response, or getting ready to increase force production and power. You can see that through power breathing with when we get into weightlifting, swinging kettlebells, Pavel Tutsalin is huge with that. And it's very interesting to me that something like the breath can be the, the gateway between creating unbelievable relaxation and calming, but also unbelievable tension and force production. I find that very interesting. Okay, actionable information. There's something called six-count breathing. This is nothing new. This has been used for thousands and thousands of years, and it can be manipulated, the dose that is, to the person. So six-count breathing is basically this. You're going to have someone inhale as they count up to six. They're going to pause, count to three. Exhale, count down from six. Pause, count to three. And repeat. Now, if somebody feels so hungry for air with six-count breathing that they begin to panic, we can do four-count breathing. We can do two-count breathing. We have to start somewhere, and we're typically going to have them do the breath count, however long they're counting for the inhale or the exhale. Cut that number down in half, and that's how long they're pausing for. My Tai Chi coach had me practice this until I was able to do 10 to 12 second inhale, 10 to 12 second exhale with a five to six second pause. It's unbelievable what this simple practice has actually done for my endurance and my ability to recover between sets when swinging kettlebells. So that's one, six count breathing. At rest, okay, I wouldn't recommend, if this is very new, to you or your clients, I wouldn't recommend jumping into doing this during movement or during um, exercise. But here's a, a gateway to start doing it with movement. 
going for a daily walk, okay? We talked about how just increasing heart rate 20 beats above resting can help stimulate a parasympathetic response. Well, now let's do both stimulating the uh, parasympathetic response by increasing heart rate through exercise and movement and coordinating it with breath work. So now you're going to go for a daily walk. You're going to inhale and count six steps. So every heel strike is one, two, three, four, up to six. Then you're going to pause. You're going to count three steps. Then you're going to exhale. You're going to count six steps. And you're going to repeat that for two to five minutes. Now, remember, when your mind wanders and when you lose focus or when you lose count, this is not failing, guys. This is the practice. You're going to just, as my mentor Joseph Goldstein says, you just begin again. Being aware that you, your mind has wandered, recognizing that, and beginning again is similar to doing another rep of a bicep curl to make your bicep stronger. Beginning again, you, by beginning again, you are exercising your prefrontal cortex in the ability to focus. So rather than being discouraged, be proud of the fact that you are aware that you wandered and bring it back to the counting. All right. So those are two very simple, actionable things that you can do right away to help you and your clients stimulate a autonomic response or parasympathetic response by means of focused breath work and combining that or coordinating that with something as simple as going for a walk and your each step is a count. There are a ton of breathing apps these days. One of the ones I really like is called Breathing Plus. And you can essentially set the, um, the timing of the inhale, the exhale, and the pauses between the inhale and the exhale on this app. And the cool thing is you, it provides you with a combination of a visual and a tactile cue for breath control. So there's some apps that um, do something called square breathing where you actually see a cursor going, drawing a square and you're coordinating the breath and at every uh, corner of the square is a pause. There's also visual cues where there's a wave going up the screen for the inhale, a wave going down the screen for the exhale, and again, there's a pause in between. Very helpful, whatever app suits your needs. There are a ton of them these days. Go shopping for it, use it. It's incredible. I've had a lot of clients and a lot of colleagues of mine saying that it really helps their clients create this sense of calm. Also, we have a YouTube channel on our on our YouTube channel and there's a playlist. And I called it 12 coiling movements of qigong. So something you can do that I've prescribed a lot of my patients and clients is for the next 90 days, pick a few of these movements to practice. Now I'm going to give you a two-step two steps to follow. Number one, just focus on learning the movement you chose while not holding your breath. That's level one. Learn the movement, let the movement become automatic, and just practice not holding your breath while you're moving. Step two, now coordinate an inhale as your hands move towards the midline of your body. Pause, then exhale as your hands move away from the midline of your body. 
And the, the art here is coordinating the movement with how slow or fast your breath is. So if we go back to the six count breathing, you wanna make sure that you're moving slow enough that by the end of the movement, you're at the six count. The pause, you're slowing down the movement for the pause, and then the exhale comes, and then you are coordinating the speed of the movement with how fast your exhale is, or how slow your exhale is. And by simply, I take that word back, it's not simple. It can get very frustrating at first, so remember, you begin again, you're flexing your focus muscle, you're exercising your prefrontal cortex. But really coordinating the movement and the breath work can really, really help to stimulate this autonomic response or this parasympathetic response. Now, for any of these actionable steps that I just provided you guys, whether it be six count breathing, incorporating that with a daily walk, using an app, or going to our YouTube channel and going to the uh, 12 coiling movements of Qigong. For those of you who don't know how to spell Qigong, it's Q-I-G-O-N-G. I'll put it in the show notes so that you can check it out. But the best time to do these drills, any of these strategies, is right after exercise to stimulate recovery and a parasympathetic response. Or if you or your patient is someone who has who's found it to be hard to fall asleep at night, this can be very helpful as a pre-bedtime routine. Stimulate a parasympathetic, parasympathetic response, calm the mind, especially the mind that just keeps be, being scattered and wandering. I've had a lot, a lot of people tell me that it is so helpful to do these movement or breath exercises together before bed. It really helps them fall asleep at night. If you're someone who wakes up at like 2, 3 in the morning and have a hard time going back to sleep, try this basic breathing drill while you're in bed, whether it be a four or six count breathing. Again, it's been shown to be very, very helpful with these type of issues. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you again for joining us. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at remez at neuropedicspt.com. And until next time, have an awesome rest of your day. But I want to let you know about our foundation's mentorship program. This is a 12-week program designed for orthopedic and sports physical therapists interested in better understanding how various motor control and neuromuscular rehab models can be integrated into any practice making you a well-rounded therapist while improving outcomes. With the various motor control perspectives available to us today, oftentimes we can be left feeling confused, not knowing who to listen to and which course to take next. We know what it feels like to take a weekend course and feel like you have to choose between one approach or another, but it doesn't have to be that way. What if a certain depth of understanding in various models brought us some clarity, cognitive agility, and creativity into our clinical practice? That's our goal with this 12-week program. We'll dive deep into five of the foundational systems of motor control, like the reflex model and the dynamic systems model. We'll dissect each model's strengths and weaknesses to see how each model may complement one another through synergy. Here's what you'll get through this 12-week program. You'll get home study content, which will consist of PowerPoint audio lectures. 
You'll get one-on-one mentoring calls for an hour a week where we dissect practical case study examples from your current caseload so you can apply the content to your clients right away. We'll also have plenty of time for Q&A so you can get a deeper understanding of the home study material. Here's what you will not get from this program. We're not offering new techniques or fancy exercises, and we're not promoting new assessment or evaluation strategies. And rather than bashing other systems, we'll be taking a different approach towards motor control, an inside-out approach where we start with our why and our beliefs and values. If you're interested in learning more about this 12-week mentorship program, please email us at neuropedicspt at gmail.com. We're now offering free discovery calls so you can learn more about what we have to offer. And now, without further delay, let's dive into today's episode.